You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Hey mentors, just a reminder about the You Can Mentor book. It's titled You Can Mentor, How to Impact Your Community, Fulfill the Great Commission and Break Generational Curses. The whole point of this book is to equip and encourage mentors with new tools and ideas on how to make the most of their mentor-mentee relationship. If you're a mentor, hey, go pick it up. And if you're a mentoring organization, pick some up for all of your mentors. If you would like to order mass copies, like more than 20, send an email to me, zach at youcanmentor.com, and we will get you guys a special price. But go and pick up that book. It's good. You can mentor. Ross King has been a full-time songwriter, worship leader, performer, and producer since 1995. His songs have been recorded over 150 times, primarily in the contemporary Christian music genre, including cuts by Newsboys, We Are Messengers, Jason Gray, Kate Thompson, one of my favorites, J.J. Heller, and many, many more. In addition, his songs have been used in film and TV and in national ads and promos for The Today Show, Fox TV's iHeartRadio Living Room, Concert, and more. He's recorded several independent albums of his own music and has made his money back on all of them. In 1998, he helped plant Community Church in Bryan College Station, where he served as an elder and worship leader for 17 years. He currently provides for his family by doing several different things, including writing songs for, let me get this right, centricity music. Is that right, Ross? Yes. Doing concerts, producing music at his recording studio, coaching, mentoring other songwriters, and leading worship for churches all over the country. Ross currently lives in the Nashville area with his wife, Stacy, and their four children. I am so happy to be sitting down today with Ross King in an episode series we call Unsung Heroes, which is people of influence who get a chance to sit down and talk about those people who influence them, who we probably don't know and have never heard of, nor will we ever. But as we know with mentoring, it takes people who invest in others for people to go on and do amazing things much like Ross. Ross, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me, John. Absolutely. Always good to talk to you. For sure. Okay, so Ross, something that your bio doesn't mention is your experience with and your heart for fostering and adoption. And this is this is something that we've had some interaction with over the years. As I believe, my wife and I were in East Texas at a living alternative training day, and you and Stacy were there talking a little bit about that. So can you just kind of share with us a little about maybe when that started and what's that look like for you guys over the years? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've got four adopted kids and the oldest one's 19. So I, it, it would take too long to talk too much about it. But the way it started was, you know, when we were dating, Stacy and I both sort of separately had a, I wonder if we'll adopt someday and then kind of felt nervous about bringing that up. And this was, you know, we were naive kids and just sort of had a sense of, for different reasons, a different sense of idealism about it or, or some kind of sense of like, you know, is that something that's a good ministry? What, you know, whatever I, I always say like faith in the, in the Christian life is less about walking into a closet and like coming out, not scared of something because you prayed. And it's more about, Hey, let's try something. And if it doesn't kill us, then now we have more faith. Right. And, yeah. and 
and, 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 and different people have different faith for different things. We both had some faith for this. Right. And yeah. so after we got married, we kind of, you know, started saying, Hey, let's not play any more defense in terms of our birth control and all, and all, all that. And then a couple of years into that, we hadn't had any kids and we weren't necessarily like in a rush, but we were like, just, you know, open to the idea and it, and no children were coming. So we said, you know what, we're both okay with this adoption that we both talked about it. We both researched it. Let's look into it. And so we just started down that, down that path. And, you know, a few years after that, we kind of discovered some infertility stuff in, in, in our marriage. But yeah, I mean, it's, there are kind of two reasons I think why people adopt. And one of them is just the obvious building my family the same way that you would plan to have children the, the sort of biological way. And then the other mindset is maybe something a little bit more ministry or, or kind of inclusive kind of, you know, kingdom diversity thing, you know, where you're like, Hey, I just want our family to be more than what can biologically be created. Yeah. Maybe, maybe over ethnic lines or, or maybe over sort of socioeconomic lines, whatever. Yeah. We, we had both of those throughout the, throughout our, throughout our journey with, with, with the four kids. And we always just wanted more children. It wasn't like, Hey, we're going to go, we're going to go rescue some kids that that's mm-hmm. actually looking back pretty, a pretty offensive way to like, look at it. Right. Sure. And so now it's more just by, by the time we got up, you know, four kids, it was just more like, Hey, this is awesome. This is how we get kids. Yeah. And we love these kids and, and we're just not super picky about what they look like or what their birth story is, mm-hmm. you know? And so as a result, we have an ethnically pretty diverse family now, awesome. um, but yeah, we, and we do a lot of work still. Like we're doing actually a, 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 a couple's retreat for adoptive and foster families in a couple of weeks. Oh, good deal. That a lot, and we speak and lead worship at a lot of adoption and foster and early child trauma type stuff. Yeah, so we're we're pretty involved in that world. Well, man, that's a worthy endeavor. Our youngest, who is adopted, just had an eleven-year-old birthday just two days ago. So, man, we are Great. we are blowing and going. Everyone's getting tall and huge in my home. Same. Man, right, right. So. Are you now? Can we also just identify with one another? Are we not the tallest in our home any longer? You and I. Oh no, no, okay. I haven't. No, no. Gosh, I have a son who's six three. Okay. And my one of my, my middle daughter is probably going to be taller than me. <laughs> she's five eight or five nine now, and she's fourteen. So awesome. You look, and I'm not. I'm not a super short person. I'm five ten, which is kind of average. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 scary. Yeah. I feel like there's something like that with everyone. I feel like everyone with birth kids and everything. Like people are just. They, I don't know if we're drinking too much milk or mm-hmm. or having chemicals in our food, but we, our, our people are bigger. People now. are getting bigger. Man, are bigger. That might be a podcast series that we kind of consider as well. Yeah, it's a song. <laughs> people are getting bigger. Yeah, oh man. Okay. Make a note of that. That's a terrible song. Can you, can you not, not expect that from me ever? Cause that's not me. <laughs> All right, Ross. So take us back to the beginning of this whole thing. Okay. When did you truly start loving music? My parents weren't overly musical in terms of my, my mom played piano and stuff, but, but, but they listened to music like crazy in the house. It took us to a lot of concerts. We, you know, we grew up in college station. We'd go to, we'd go to the G Riley white Coliseum in college station where the best, where Bain played basketball and we'd okay. go see the Oak Ridge boys and Ronnie Millsap and Charlie pride and all this like kind of classic country stuff. And then, and my dad always had Roy Orbison and Johnny Cash and, and that kind of stuff playing in the house. And they just were always singing and and whatever. And so I just grew up loving listening to music. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't necessarily as a kid think I would make it, but I, but I, but my parents had a deep, deep love for both live music and recorded music. And so that, okay. was, in my, in, that was just in my house. And my older brother was also like, always like a first ad- early adopter of anything. Like he, he was listening to like, early rap in the eighties when no white people knew about rap and okay. stuff. You know, so a lot of that did he influence life. a lot of what, of what you were hearing then? 
Because I, oh, I, I mean, I just know that's so many people's story about the the older sibling who, you know, everything, right? From media to words well, that had, you use. He had little 45s, you know, of all kinds of, I, I remember Ring My Bell. Yeah. It was like a Ring My Bell. He had a 45 that and he had 45s of like New Edition. No, what was the New Edition before that? Was it New Edition? I, the one that had Bobby Brown and all those guys. Yeah, you that know, was New Edition. Mm-hmm. New Edition, you know, he had 45s of that stuff and tapes of that stuff. And so, yeah, I, I was, we were very, I was very influenced by his, his, yeah. his, his tastes. So in talking to younger, you know, families and parents and stuff, I just, it's funny how I will, I will just encourage music to be played in the home. I mean, cause I kind of had a similar experience and, and the experience of my parenting has been, I just kind of find music to be a joyful thing to have playing, whether it's classical or country or just anything that can just be in the room. And so with the advent of Alexa, Okay, I think she's going to start talking to me here. But, you know, it, it's just so easily done. Is that something that, that has kind of been y'all's reality too? Have you had me? Or, or? Oh, for sure. Okay. No, it is. And and I'll even say that, like, you know, as we all get into stuff like, you know, our, uh, you know, our kids having counseling, our parents having counseling and stuff, I, I hear counselors say a lot, hey, it would be nice if you had some soothing or joyful music playing in, in your home, you know, for this particular kid's issues or for the issues that you're dealing, you know, because, and not to get too into that world, but the advent of like screens being so powerful, we've kind of lost the idea of just listening to, to music without looking at anything. Right. right? It's, right. It's, a pretty, it's a pretty powerful psychological aspect to this idea of just music is playing mm-hmm. and it's lovely and soothing and, you know, joyful. So I totally agree. No kidding. No kidding. So you you grew up with music in the house. When, when did you start making that that turn from kind of being a consumer of it and enjoying it that way to re- to realizing you know what I want to be I want to be part of this process I want to understand what it makes what it takes to make music and and try my hand at this. I mean, I would love my, my mom has passed, so I, she won't get her feelings hurt. But I would love to say it was because she made me do p- piano lessons, but <laughs> I hate it. No, what re- the weird? It's a it's a qu- the quick little story is that, a, that is that one day I was spending the night I was going to go over and spend the night at a friend's house. I had to sleep over mm-hmm. at a friend's house. My my friend Trey and I went over to his house, and he had sitting on his bed some pillows arrayed like a drum set. Okay, he already had some chopsticks, and he was playing the pillows like 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 their drums with chopsticks like it's, I mean, it's the dumbest thing ever but he was playing some 80s music you know and kind of being like this is what i've seen drummers doing they cross their hands and do this and this pillow is the hi-hat and this pillow is whatever and i was like cool and i immediately could do it a little better than he could mm. and then and in my mind i'm like well they also they're also using their feet so i'm kind of like so i went home and was like what can i do how can i learn this and i literally like my parents were auctioneers was one that was one of their side jobs yeah. and we were doing it at an estate sale and there was a drum set at this estate sale. And I was like, I want this. I think I can play this. And they're like, no, you can't. And I sat down and started playing it. That wasn't great. But, they, but to them, I was like, whoa, my kid plays drums. And I was probably 15. And we didn't get that. We didn't get that kid. It went for too, it, it went for, for too much. But I, but I, then I saved up some money and like a month later bought, bought a drum set. Yeah. And I joined a band pretty quickly. Cause why wouldn't you join a band a month after you get a drum set? Because <laughs> you know, that sounds great. Oh, man. But, but that band wrote songs. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And we did a record, like a cheap, you know, cheesy kind of record. And I wrote a song for it. And their songs were all like super cool, like indie alt, like the cure yeah. kind of stuff, you know? And mine was like Richard Marks, Brian Adams, Duran Duran, right? <laughs> Corn, you know, just super down the middle pop. Yeah. But everybody wanted my song, all the girls, like, you know, they want the 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 pop ballad. <laughs> And I just got the bug. Like this is incredible. I I, I have to do this more. This is this is so fun. Mm-hmm. So I just started getting out from behind the drum set and going to the piano. My mom had taught me a little bit, you know, whatever. And so yeah. that it just kind of took over. And and I I never really I had a 
brief season early in college where I didn't, but basically my whole from 15, from 16, from that drum set on to now, I've just loved to create and write music. Awesome. Well, listen, if we can, if we can say Richard Marks at least three or four more times during this conversation, I'm going to be happy. Okay. Dude, have you seen that guy? He still looks incredible. I don't know how old he's got to be. I'm 51. He's got to be in his 60s. Yeah. He looks amazing. Yeah. And he still has great songs. He must just stay inside all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Listen, you're going to give me your, your top three songs of all time. Okay. I saw this question when you, you sent me the questions earlier, just, just, just a little behind the scenes for everyone. I reject this question. I hate this question. <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm far too rebellious, RC high change, you know, whatever. And I have, because I'm a, we'll get to this, but because I'm a songwriting coach and mentor, yep. I have all these reasons why, you know, why songs are great. Right. So here's, I'm, I'm going to give you five and I'll make it quick. I want, okay. I want them all. All right. So and there's all kinds of reasons why someone can be good. Okay. And yeah. I don't, whatever. Okay. I want to listen. Yeah. I'm going to also preface this Ross, cause you're right. I get it, man. All these qualifiers and everything else. Okay. This is, this is 100% subjective. And I'm, yes. I'm asking you to be as, as self-indulgent as you want, because I think when I ask for someone's sure. top three, top five, that's what I want. You know what I mean? Because these are right. things that I can't and, speak against. And, and, I get it. and, here, and there's, there's multiple categories. And the quick, the quick version of that is there is songs that matter for the history and the influence, right? Yes. There are songs that, that, that matter because of what they say lyrically. And there are songs that matter because they move you and you don't know why. And there's no like, like tangible reason. Like yes. I remember the first time I ever heard here I am to, to worship, you know, from the nineties or whatever. And mm -hmm. I thought this is just an, a normal song and it's blowing my mind. And I feel like I, you know, want to just like worship my guts out. Of it, yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's my preface. Here. Okay. Here we go. Pachelbel's Canon. And they won't all be this, this, lofty okay but pocketbook is a four chord progression over and over and over and over for like five or six minutes that just keeps changing the way the notes go over the four chords yeah it never changes most most classical music is extremely complicated it's four chords over and over and over with this section's got half notes this section goes to quarter notes this section goes to 16th notes with some with some accents and it just keeps building and building and the emotions in it are amazing and it never alters that progression and so it's like the next song free fallen because Free Fallen has, by Tom Petty has three chords and it, and it does all these things. It, it does, she's a good girl, loves her mama. It does, now I'm free, free falling. Mm -hmm. It does, free falling, I'm a free, and it does that oh, oh thing on top of all of that. All over the same chords over and over again. And, and it says some kind of interesting social commentary things too, because it's <laughs> Tom Petty, think in his eye. All right? Yep. Third, and there's no order here. Okay. First song that made me cry is a song called That's My Job by Conway Twitty. Okay, it's written by a guy named Gary Burr, who's like this country hall of fame guy, but it has this awesome story. And this is before I was ever writing songs about this kid. And it's one of these like take a chorus and it means something different each time thing that the country does so well, right? So it's got this first one is the kid is like, I don't know, he's having a rough day or something. No, no, the kid wakes up in the middle of the night with a bad dream. He walks into his dad's bedroom and is like, dad, I'm so scared. Can me, I, whatever, I had a bad dream. And, and the course is, that's my, you know, you know, I'll take care of you. That's my job. Everything I do is for you. Next ver ver verse, the kid is like, hey, I think, I think I'm going to go out to, to LA or Nashville and write songs. You know, it's kind of kind of crazy. Will you support me, dad? I know it's crazy. Chorus, dad says, that's my job. It's what I do. Everything is for you. I'm getting chills just talking about this, right? <laughs> third, third thing, bridge, bridge verse is my dad is like, you know, getting older and he's saying, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be gone soon. And son, you got one job here to, to, to take the grief of this, of this moment and the hole that I leave in the world. 
and fill it with light. And the freaking last chorus says, that's my job. That's what I do. Everything I do is because of you. And I ball my <laughs> eyes out every time, every time. Oh, because man. that's masterful, right? That's like storytelling. It's whatever. And it's a beautiful song. Yeah. Four and five quickly. Times they are a changing by Bob Dylan, because I believe protest is maybe one of the most important uses of, of music. And that song speaks this incredibly provocative, profound thing, spiritual, political, whatever. Sure. And, and then finally, kind of a weird little outlier is Wade, Wade in the Water. It's an African-American spiritual mm -hmm. from from, this, from from like the slave period. And it's this really, really profound, weird metaphor. It says, Wade in the Water, Wade in the Water, children, Wade in the Water. God's going to trouble the water, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, just saying that phrase, I'm like, something in my soul, deeper than my brain says, that sounds like something awesome mm -hmm. I, that's magnetic like god's gonna trouble the water what does that even mean right like i just i love the kind of like secret uh mysterious a little scary mm -hmm. deliverance kind of liberation god thing that you get from a lot of those african-american spirituals from that time period and that song is sort of at the top for me because it's melodically really beautiful and i love this hey just wait in wait in wait trouble's coming but it's good news yeah right yeah man that's like that's the good stuff know, so, there you go. So you, obviously, you dude, you've got an appreciation for efficiency of song and like and nuance and and multiple layers, right? I mean, yeah, like I could do the whole podcast on this mess. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I, I mean, <laughs> no. So my, my quick takeaway on this, and then, and then I'm going to move on because I'm going to share. I, I was I was kind of hoping to at least hear one from mine, but that's okay. That's all right. Hey, man, Petty. Well, I could, you're just probably on. I probably just forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I could. I almost put. I want to hold your hand mm -hmm, by mm -hmm. Beatles. There were several like kind of Elvis, you know, uh, can't help falling in love. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff was back there for me. And in your, in our notes, I had almost mentioned in parentheses No Dylan because I figured you know the the given of that right. But oh, and look, I did not say Amazing Grace or Jesus lo loves me, which are kind of obvious, right? Because right, Jesus loves me. This kind of is kind of this pentatonic scale child thing, which I love. It's so simple. It's, yeah. And it's so memorable. Amazing Grace is obvious. It's the most played song, recorded song of all time. Yeah. You know, and also, uh, hey, I want everybody to go watch the Tom Petty "Running Down a Dream" two-part documentary. Are, do you agree? Give yourself some time. Give yourself some time I'm for saying, that. Song. One of the quotes there: "Don't bore us. Get to the chorus." I thought oh, yeah. that oh, is yeah. Tom Petty songwriting right there. Okay. No, he, he, there, there's a book, and again, this might be something you need to edit out later. But there's sure. a book called "Conversations with Tom Petty." That's kind of the exhaustive. It's the all biography. There is a biography that's that, that kind of happened later, but this was the first time he'd ever given long interviews. Mm -hmm. And 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 it's so the whole book is is long interviews with it with this one guy. And it's it's in two it's in two sections. The first section is like his life, just kind of like my life. Second thing is kind of like his music. Yeah. And it has stories in it that are just for anybody who cares about music or is interested in making music are just so yeah. so powerful. Man. Right. So what a guy anyway. for sure. Okay. So look, but, I'm gonna I'm gonna add to these songs because I hope the listener says, Hey, I don't even know that song that he's mentioning. Go listen to that song on Spotify. I'm going to add to it. So no one's asking, but I'm going to give my personal just three or go. so. Listen, man, Poncho and Lefty, Towns Van Zant. To me, I mean, talking about efficiency. No, and, like, look, there's that whole story thing. Gosh. That whole, like, that's save what, a few, that's for, my save a me, few for Lefty too. I kind of get no, choked up <laughs> on that line no, just, no. just about yeah, every you time. You get into something like Ghost Riders in the Sky. You know, you, you've got all these things that are in that world. Yeah. Of like extremely interesting, you know, outlaw country stuff. Yeah. I mean, a ton, you know, then you get something like a Folsom Prison Blues. You got, 
those kind of that that world of like there's a story here. Boy named Sue, for goodness sakes. Yes. It's a satire, but it also has this sort of like 60 or 50 year, year old statement on masculinity, which is yeah. super interesting. And you know, yeah, there's all that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> Shell Silverstein, by the way. Old, yeah. Old country has a whole other category. That is a whole other thing. You're right. Romeo and Juliet, Mark Knopfler. Interesting. Yeah. I'm a Knopfler guy for, for sure. Me too. I feel, you know what? I'm, that makes me feel old too, though, to know that I'm, you know, listening to like the Emmylou Harris, Mark Knopfler album, which I think is so good. Well, and okay. So quickly, I'm, we're ruining this. <laughs> there are people who, who, who they are the world's best songwriters. Yeah. Who don't, who don't have any songs on my list. Right. Knopfler. Randy Newman is is, sure. is one of those for me. Yeah. I don't have any top songs in the world. You got a friend of me be the closest thing. Top songs in the world from Randy Newman, but he is one of my favorite songwriters. Period. He just doesn't win best song. He's just, you know, I, I talk a lot in my mentoring about ceilings and floors. Yeah, and he, he his head doesn't bang the ceiling all mm-hmm. that all that often, but he's over the floor every time. You know who my, who, who my guy is? And again, we've, we're losing everyone here, and that's fine. Sure, sure. Go ahead, Richard Thompson. He's he's on my list as well. So I'd say yeah. I can't really give you a specific Richard Thompson song. I'd probably give you Persuasion as maybe my favorite, but mm-hmm. the essence of the songwriting isn't really important. It's just it's probably just the overall tone and the and the and the guitar on right. that song. The level of the level of consistency that, that that you say here's a brand I can always yes count on. Yeah, yeah. It's a. It's a I can't find a good metaphor. This not going to sound insulting, but it's you know it's a it, it's a it's a Chili's. <laughs> <laughs> always bump into a chili's out on the road and think this yeah. will be amazing it's never going to be the terrible starbucks yep yep, yep. Starbucks. so ross and you, I, and I, probably, I probably just made myself white trash to all of your <laughs> listeners well, you know. uh, well mission accomplished because i didn't tell you but that was one of the things i was going for all right so something yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the many things that i like about you you're, you currently offer songwriting coaching mentoring as you mentioned and you know in the words of chris farley to uh paul mccartney that's that's awesome but what's what's it been like to invest in your musical mentee's creative process? Man, it, it was a real surprise for me because I literally started doing it because I was out of money and knew that I had sort of mentally inadvertently compiled a bunch of my m- my methods. I'm the kind of person that I, I verbally process. And so I'll say something and realize, oh, what I just said is really important to mm-hmm. me. And so if this situation comes up, comes up again, that's what I'll say. Cause I know I just said it and it, and it, and it, and it matters to me. Right. And yeah. so I was doing that with, with my songwriting. I was, I was, I was going to rights and I was saying in certain moments with a co-writer, well, you know, this is when we do, do this thinking it's just how everyone thought. Right. Yeah. And the person would say, Oh yeah, I guess so. I never thought about it, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm thinking, Oh, I always, always think about it. So I started compiling that stuff just kind of as a, Hey, I want to have a sense of why I think the way I do whatever. Yeah. And at some point I just said, I want, I think I think I could teach this. So I just went on Facebook and whatever else and said, Hey, I'm looking to kind of beta test a songwriting mentorship. And it was like 40 bucks an hour. Like I was just charging like cheap piano lessons, mm-hmm. you know, kind of rates. And I just immediately loved it. Mm. And the people got better. Like the people got better. And so I, I have found that, you know, I was, as you said, on my, on my long bio, my long bloated bio, I pastored, I was on a pastoral staff at a church for a while and I don't do that anymore. And I, and I wouldn't say I miss it but something in my soul still leans toward it. Right. Sure. And this is a way to do that. I love, love, love seeing people connect their emotions and their grief and their struggles and their questions and their joys and their whatever else to their creativity. And then, and then taking that and connecting that to other people like that thing, you know, and, and as a person for whom songwriting has multiple times kind of almost saved my life, 
in the sense that I had nowhere to go with my feelings or, or I couldn't find a redemptive thing in the, in the struggle, you know, without songwriting as someone with that story to be able to do that with other, with other people is very, very cool. And as you heard from my long, crazy, you know, like feeling about songs, I have lots of ways that I feel about it. I, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to help you find a way to say this really hard thing and deal with your emotions. And I'm also going to, going to walk you through how to write a song you don't care about just because making music is fun. Right. So I, I love it and I don't want to be my main thing, but it, but it's probably the most important thing that I do. Okay. Honestly, you know, I'd rather do this other thing. that's cooler. Right. And, and more glamorous, but it's probably the more important thing that I'm doing. Man. Well, I just think it's so valuable and I love that you do that. Do you find, maybe this is a weird question, even as I'm saying, and I'm going to kind of, I'm going to wonder cause I'm shooting from the hip here, but do you find that that, that component of your life, does it, does it lend itself to your personal creativity or do you feel like it, it, kind of drains it in a, in a way? Huh. That's a great question. I, I probably silo in my brain a little bit so that it doesn't drain it. Okay. I mean, it might drain my time, right. And then I'm less, my energy and time are used, but no, I think it probably feeds it because, and they feed each other because, you know, I'll do something. I'll be processing my own music in some way and thinking, how, how can this song be better? How can I, how can I improve in this area? And then I'll think, Oh, that's something I can talk to my students about. And at the same time, I will be talking to my students and something will come out that I hadn't really been prepared to say. And I'll mm-hmm. think, well, gosh, I just gave them a tip that I haven't even used myself. Right. Because it's, again, it's a, it's a conversation I'm having with these students. And so they'll ask a question or they'll, or they'll show me something I hadn't even considered. You know, it, it's, it, it, art's weird, but because we can tell artists can tell people after they did something about the art we can say look, look at this piece of art you, you can can you see that and we can convince ourselves or maybe even lie and 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 be like that was on purpose or that i, I did that because when really you didn't even know why you did it till it was already done mm-hmm. you know and i think there's a lot of that, that 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 goes on both in the teaching process and the creative process is that you're you are working through oh i see this tree and these clouds and blah 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 and now i'm realizing there's colors sort of connecting those and there's you know and you didn't really do that on purpose. Yeah. It, it was intuitive or accidental or whatever. And so that, that's a lot of what, what, what connects those worlds for me is I'm, I'm watching people who do a different process than me, you know, because songwriting is, I don't know what else to compare it to, but you, you, you can learn to do it without asking anybody how to do it. Right. You can learn to do it because you ask somebody how, how to do it. And it's probably a mixture of both, but I always joke that it's kind of like when you get married and you, and you go to Christmas with your in-laws for the first time and you're like, that's not how Christmas is done. You know, and they're like, of course it is. It's how we do Christmas. You know, that songwriting is like, this isn't, this person's doing, they're talking about this important aspect of songwriting. I don't even care about that. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that I love all that. And that, that just informs and sort of, sort of resets the gauges, you know, for, oh, I taught my student this. I've never done that. I just realized I just taught it to them. Oh, I'm doing this in my songwriting. I need to teach my students that, you know, and just, it's, it's very, you know, the, the Venn diagram gets closer and closer and closer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so as I mentioned before, you know, at You Can Mentor, we really do believe in the power of mentoring and that anybody can do it effectively. So our Unsung Heroes segment, it gives people like yourself the chance to point the spotlight on someone else who mentored them well. And we believe that people who invest in others behind the scenes in a relationship are indeed heroes. So Ross, who in your life has equipped or encouraged you as a mentor? And this can be musically, you know, character, faith, relational, just however. Yeah. Well, I'm probably going to speak more to faith and life because unfortunately I was, I was kind of by myself living in college station. I didn't have a lot of musical mentors. And then I spent too long being the biggest fish in a small pond. And then when I moved to Nashville, 
everyone was just as good or better, but I was kind of older. <laughs> so I haven't, I, I, for better or for worse, I haven't had a ton of like really strong mentorship in the music thing. And and that probably accounts for any, in any of my inadequacies or any of my late bloomer, you know, growth. But in life, I want to briefly say that my good friend, Scott Stoltz was a guy that like found me. He was a youth pastor in Brenham. You know, that's kind of our mutual, whatever. And, right. and just, he and I planted community church together and he, and he pulled out of me pastoral things that that I didn't know were there and believed in me and asked for more of, more from me in some ways that I needed to have that. And I and I quote him all the time when I talk about mm. community, true community. But I want to answer all your longer questions and more things to, and I want to discuss my father-in-law. But I just didn't want I just didn't want to leave Scott out cuz he's such an important part of my journey as a thinker. But no, my father-in-law his name's Nikki Otts and I lost my dad about 11 years ago and and my mom about a year ago and wasn't super close to my mom. And so I kind of looked to my father-in-law pretty early on to just for advice for this is how you raise a family. This is how you grow old in a cool way. This is how you spend money. This is how you, you know, talk to people. And he's so different than I am. And that's a real challenge for me. Like he's a listener, not a talker. He's a behind the scenes guy. He's great with money and I'm not. He's, you know, in every way he's different than me. Mm. And it just challenges me so much and is so good for me. So yeah, that, that that's that's the person I would probably want to put point to and say, hey, everyone, I wish you all knew Nikki Yachts. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's so good to hear. It's, it's, I think it's great. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about family and, and what we would hope for in a marriage, right? That you that you grow your family that way and that you're influenced by these people who, you know, cared for and, and loved your spouse, but then you benefit from in this great way, right? Of Yeah. I, I, I look at him and, 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 and my mother-in-law both. And, and, and I say, my life is whole and great and good in many reasons, in many ways, because you did your job so well before I ever knew you or her, you know? And, and one of the really powerful things about my relationship with my father-in-law is that, at some point, seven or eight years ago, my wife and I, we had, we had bought phones at the same time. And then for some reason, I think one of us wanted the bigger screen and whatever. So we switched phones and we do that. Your contacts can get kind of screwy. Mm-hmm. And so at this time, at this point in time, my, my dad had had already passed and, and suddenly Nikki's name came up as dad on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I just would cry. Like every time I would start to type in Nikki and I would go, Oh yeah, I got to say that, you know, dad. And it was like the, and anybody called me would say dad. And I was like, and I just, that was so powerful to me because I was never the kind of person that, that would have said, Oh, you're going to see your in-laws as parents. It just wasn't like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And this is really, it was a really, really cool thing to this day. You know, he's, he's my dad now. So. Yeah. No kidding. Well, you bring up a really valid point. And I think that one that our mentors who listen to this podcast can really kind of grab onto and that's the fact that, man, as, as life goes on, as the Lord, you know, continues to build community in our lives, so often we can really kind of find even our mentor that might come to us with an, from an organization or, or elsewhere, not just from them becoming a part of our family, but you know what? They become part of our family. And so, right. what, a, what a wonderful thing as a mentee to really consider mm-hmm. or to hear those words from someone who might say, hey, just so you know, I consider you part of my family, you know, and that's, and that's, that's the good and the bad, right? That doesn't just mean that it, you know, that we're going to be so polite to each other that you're going to, it means sometimes that, you know what, you might disappoint me at times, or I I might disappoint you at times. And it might mean that we kind of weather through some friction, but all the more important to realize that family sticks together. 
Right. And, and John, I'm 51 years old and I'm talking to you about a, about a mentor I've only had for the last 25 years. I mean, I could go back to my childhood or my teenage years and talk about my youth minister. who was incredible and, and, and those kind of things. But the fact is at 51, I still feel like a kid when I run into a situation that's unfamiliar or, or scary to me, I still get situations that are unfamiliar and scary to me. And I still need that. Mm -hmm. And he's in his early seventies and I, I, I need and count on him and lean on him in all kinds of ways that a grown man maybe shouldn't, you know, I, I don't know, but I, but I, that, that doesn't end, right? Like, sure. No, feelings. I completely agree with that. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. And I think be able to communicate as well that you never really get to a point where you say, okay, I've got it. I've got this life thing squared away. You really don't. You might have it in that chapter, but you know, what I hear from you is to say, you've got a man 20 years beyond you that speaks into you. And so you're looking mm -hmm. at, and I'm guessing you're also saying, this is what I, this is what I want to aspire to be. This is the way, oh, the outlook I want to have. And, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. No, there's so much about who, who he is that, that I just think, well, I got, I got some more time. I'm going to try to, he's so different than me. I wonder if in the time I have left, I can be more like him. Right. And, and he's not the kind of person who would ever say be like me at mm -hmm. all. You know, he's actually spoken a lot into my, to my life about how different I am than him and what he loves about it. You oh, know? that's it's great. Awesome. Yeah. And that's another beautiful thing too. You talk about just the difference of, man, it's, it seems like we're so easy to kind of be drawn to those who are like us or that we want to be. And others, we just, you know, we always kind of feel like, well, we're a little different. And so maybe I don't have anything to learn from them. And, and, you're, and you're not as old as I am, John, but, you, but you've lived enough life that you understand that at a certain point in, in your life, you can start denying all the ways that you could have done life better. Mm -hmm. It's because you're ashamed of it. Or you can start leaning in mm -hmm. and not to be ashamed, but just to learn and saying, look, here are all the things about my life to this point, but by the grace of God, somehow haven't killed me. And, but they're true about, about, about me. And I, I want to keep changing those things. And where can I go to find that? Right. Yes. And, you know, that, that is probably, you know, and that's not just mentors, right. That's spouse and friends and whatever else. And sometimes the people who you are mentoring, you're like, man, you're doing it so much better than me. Right. And that can be a reason why you mentors, right? I want to help you guys. I, I tell I tell a lot of my students, I want you kids to skip the. I want you to skip the line. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I took a long time to get here. I want you to skip the line. Yeah. But but I just you know I I look at all the ways I've done my life poorly and ways I've I've you know I want to be better and I see him and I'm like man, for the time I have with him, I I want to get that stuff right and I want to lean in and just like soak it up if I can. Thanks so much for sharing this and, and for sitting down with me today, talking about some of these things. Look, we believe in mentoring. This is exciting for me to do, though, because as a creative and one who invests in other creatives, you know, what I say with, with mentoring is something that I like to do with middlemen is the fact that we spend so often time with skaters. Skaters love music. Skaters love art as well because, you know, it's so graphic in nature. And so something that I always remember and try to share with, with others is a lot of the young people that we get to work with are going to be those songwriters, those screenwriters, those artists who, and you know, and what do artists do? Well, they, they put into word or picture what we're all right. thinking and feeling, right? They put yes. into word, they write a song because the masses say, oh, you know what? I feel a certain way. Your words right. match my feeling. And so right. what we say is these are, these are the voices of, of a generation. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Totally agree. So yeah. thank you Good for man. investing in that and in that community. Love it. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. We'll have the best and we'll talk to you soon. 
Right. Listener, we thank you for joining us today. And you can check out Ross King at rosskingmusic.com. You can bring Ross King into your very community for a concert. And if you have been thinking, you know what? I might want to write a song or two. Well, then reach out to Ross and maybe become one of his students. As always, we want to remind you that you can mentor. 